welcome to the Five Elements Podcast. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back. This is our second episode in a row, two weeks in a row. Look Ho- at us. Hopefully, they're out on time. <laughs> we back. We buzzing. Let's talk some shit. Um, first things first, a little housekeeping. Firstly, thank you for supporting the show. We always appreciate your reviews. If you share it with a friend, that is so, so helpful to us. And a free way that you can help support us. Yeah, absolutely. Another free way that you can support us is by signing up for the newsletter. Uh, We plug it because it's our baby and we really enjoy it. It kind of gives us the space to not work so much within the confines of social media to give you content. And also it's not... The, the deliverance of them is not up to the algorithm gods yeah. of big tech. Uh, so we can just send you emails. You're not going to miss our content because our reach off, often on social media is wildly low or high. It's all over the place. So if you want to receive what we think is our best content, make sure to sign up for the newsletter, which will be in the show notes. And then, of course, you can sign up for online coaching if you're looking to take that next step with your uh, fitness journey. As we mentioned, Sam works more with women, um, but obviously can work with men as well. And mm-hmm. I work with uh, I have no really gender specific Kind of approach to it. Um, <laughs> but for people generally who want to get strong, build confidence in the gym, looking for a mix of guidance, but still developing self-efficacy. So we're not just going to baby you. We're going to help you build confidence in the gym. And if you have body composition goals and don't want them to be basically coached in a manner that's rigid and dogmatic, that's what we're all about. Definitely. We love a collaborative approach. Um, so we will leave a link in the show notes just in case you want to read a little bit more about our service and apply if it feels right for you. Absolutely. Okay. So roses and thorns. Yeah. Shout out first. Someone on our Facebook uh, community group today said that she now does roses and thorns no. with her family at dinner every night. And I, that was a huge win. Is that who I think it is? No. Someone oh. else. Yeah. Wow. Because one of my... <gasps> One of my clients actually mentioned that she's been doing that with, with her family. So this is the second person we've got onto Roses and Thorns. That's like mind-blowing. That brings me way too much joy. Yeah. So um, that's a big win. That's Roses and Thorns, Rose for the Week. Okay. Yeah. I that's guess. your rose? No, that's the Rose for Roses and Thorns as a as a movement. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, okay. I mean... Do you want to go first or yeah. should I go first? Okay, I'll go first. Okay. So my rose is I got my fucking license. Woo! My G2, for those not in Ontario, I think it's an Ontario-specific thing. In Ontario, you have to do a written to get your G1, and then you can drive with an adult in the car. Then you get a G2, which you can drive on your own, but there's some limitations, and then you do a full G. Um, and I got my G2 when I was like 18, like normal people, had a car, Yada, yada, yada. Things were going good. And then I moved to Toronto. Totally lost track of time. Felt like a real city boy who needed a car. And then I lost my license because it expired. And I had to go through the whole process again. Mm-hmm. I hadn't driven in like five years. So I was overwhelmed with the idea of driving. Creating all these narratives in my mind. It's just out of reach. I, no one will help. No one will help. Everyone I asked helped because that's what I do in my mind. And I finally passed my test. I'm thinking of getting a car, so that's going to increase our mobility in the world and not feeling so confined to always being downtown. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, I just it was a big limiting beliefs thing. I don't know why yeah. they manifest strangely with people where sometimes the smallest thing seems so large. And this felt large to me. Yeah. I remember I was asking my grandma if she would take me driving, and I, I in my mind I was like, I have to frame it in a way that it's worth it for her. As yeah. if she would just never help me out of the goodness of her heart, which she would. Or because she loves you. Yeah. I was yeah. like, no, no, I got to make, I'll take you to Costco. I'll do this. And she's like, no, I'll just take you driving. And then yeah. I, I ended up practicing with my sister. So that was really helpful. So that's my big rose. Um, Thorn, kind of related to that mm-hmm. of limiting beliefs is I've shared my mental health work on here and like my journey and what I'm trying to work on right now. Mm-hmm. And just like realizing how tough it is to work through ingrained coping mechanisms. Oh, yeah. Like the resistance of it, it's so, it seems so benign. Automatic. It's wild. It's not a choice a lot of the time. Yeah, um, that's a discussion for a different day. But Mm -hmm. Sam and I have talked about this a lot. It's, you know, sometimes until you work through this stuff and until you face it head on, it's easy. It's always easier to look at someone else's life and be like, why don't they just do this? Right? It seems so clear. Um, But that perspective lacks a lot of empathy because if you've ever been in a similar position or had similar internal resistance or similar trauma responses that made 
these decisions seem paralyzing when they objectively seem benign to mm-hmm. anyone else, that can be so overwhelming. And working through my own stuff right now, I'm experiencing that firsthand. And it's hard to have empathy for yourself because you're like, it's so simple. Why can't I do this one thing? I think it's important to remember that even though it's not serving you now, it was a survival coping mechanism. Like it it enabled you to get to where you are today. So like I have that with my hypervigilance. Um, My hypervigilance kept me safe as a child. But as an adult, it's beyond exhausting and distracting. It's actually a negative. I hate how hypervigilant I am, but I learned how to be, I learned hypervigilance in the vein of survival. And it's the same thing for you with your coping mechanisms. At one point in your life, they served you. They just don't anymore. I had that big time with being the class clown. Yeah. Which I am goofy by nature. So there is like, it's been tough to find the middle ground of like, hey, what's a more authentic way to be silly and playful? One's genuine. But a lot of it was just rooted in- Performative. It was performance, like a gesture to ease tensions. Because I realized from a very young age, if tension was around, I could use my charisma, my goofiness to ease the tensions in that room, which I personally found was so uncomfortable. Yeah. And that makes it hard to tackle tough situations, have crucial confrontations and discussions if your reflexive response to tension is crack a joke and make it all all about that and try to move on as opposed to facing it and realizing that even if I'm the butt of the joke, I was okay with it. Like I would make a fool out of myself to make everyone else feel more comfortable, especially in a, yeah. more, in a party situation. I was always down for that um, because I just, I would rather everyone else be having a good time than no one be having a good time. Yeah. Um, and You would rather make somebody laugh than feel uncomfortable feel, yeah, at all. For sure. Ever. Yeah. I've noticed that. So that's, that's a reflexive behavior to yeah. like, to stop yourself because it's, it's, I can't control the fact that my mind goes there. There's so much repetition that brings me there, mm-hmm. but where I get more agency is once I get there, do I have to go through with it? Or can mm-hmm. I say, hey, man, this is kind of more just performative. This is to ease tensions. This is to mm-hmm. avoid conflict. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. And that's kind of like the the crux the of this crux right of now. The crux of it all. Yeah. I know. And it's like step one for anybody hearing this and resonating with this and being like, oh, my God, I know it's impossible. How will I ever make a change in any area? when it feels so ingrained and automatic to repeat a behavior that's no longer serving me, the most helpful advice I've ever received was that it really comes down to the first step, which is catching it. Yeah. Make it that small. You just need to catch yourself in the moment and acknowledge that there's a different route you could take. You just have to catch it. That's all it's about. It's about catching it first. Don't worry about changing it. Don't worry about creating a different outcome. First, Focus on just catching yourself in the moment, being like, okay, I've been triggered to do the following behavior and I'm aware of it. And at least I'm aware of it this time because most of the time it's so unconscious and so automatic that I only become aware of it after it happened. Yeah, 100%. So if you can become aware of it preceding its happening, that's step one. That's all we need. Yeah. And that's huge progress. Yeah, that's been helpful for me. Um, cause I used to, with, with my therapist, I said, sometimes I feel like a bad person cause my mind goes there Yeah, and she's like, you can't control that it goes there. You can only control what you do once you get there. Um, and you can't always control it too, because depending how on, t- how intensive the situation is not to say you have no free will, but your agency does reduce as it becomes more intense Absolutely. and the more traumatic the incident, the more triggering it isn't just, it's not a dichotomy of you have control or you don't. It's a spectrum of how much control you have. Yeah. Um, and the context always makes a big difference on that. Yes. And not you're not gonna bat a thousand. Like I still sometimes do things where I'm like, fuck man, that was that was so reminiscent of behavior that I'm trying to change. Yeah. But it happens less now. And that's kind of the place where I do get some solace back in of like, okay, I I did it again, but I, I was aware that I did it. Or I was about to do it and I caught myself and I took a step back. Um, and it's not just about being perfect. Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard like not to beat yourself up. And it's also hard to accept the validation of really minute change because it doesn't feel like anything is happening or changing by just acknowledging that 
you're about to engage in a behavior that's no longer serving you. That, yeah. It doesn't feel good while it's happening. <laughs> no, that's the problem. It takes a while until it starts to feel good. Yeah, it's really hard. So what about you, Sammy B? Roses and thorns. Okay. So let me preface. I only have one and it's neither. It's a rosy thorn. Okay. Which is pretty fitting with my personality because I'm going to preface all of this by saying I am a bittersweet person. I am not what I consider to be toxically positive. I am. I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I've always been kind of a bittersweet person. Like I'm the type of human who in the most beautiful moments of my life, the most joy, I feel some sense of sorrow because I know that they don't last and that they're always fleeting. I have a tattoo that says this too shall pass which is actually from the Old Testament, because I love the concept, not the way that most people apply it, which is that like, you know, the bad things will pass, but the good passes too, right? Yeah, we don't like to think about that part. No, but I acknowledge in all the goodness and in all the pain that there's a duality, right? Yeah. So another backstory before I get into my rosy thorn. My grandfather, who I speak about quite often as my hero, He's a Holocaust survivor and he went straight from Auschwitz, one of the most horrific and prolific concentration camps, straight back to Poland where he realized he had no family and from there didn't know what to do with himself. So he joined the army and he became a full-blown army brat. And I remember as a little girl, like looking up at him and thinking like, this is the strongest man I could ever know. Like not just mentally, but physically, like when I slept over at his house, he would wake up in the morning and do push-ups and sit-ups and I would just sit there with my jaw dropped in awe, like, wow, look at how strong he is. So then, you know, I'm looking at my hero now through the eyes of my adult self and he just turned 94. So his physical capabilities as well as his mental capabilities have begun to decline quite significantly, especially over the course of COVID. Yeah. And I caught myself this weekend when I saw him as I used my own body and my own strength and my mental strength too to help carry him up a staircase. And in that moment, it was obviously heartbreaking, but it was, it was bittersweet because there's something so beautiful about knowing that I get to repay the favor for like all the years that he held and carried me. I'm going to cry, but it's like this intensely heartbreaking and beautiful moment, right? Where like I get to do it for him now and it hurts so much, but it's also like the most honor you could show someone yeah that in like the hardest point of their life that you'll do what they did for you you'll carry them whether that's physically or mentally emotionally spiritually or all of it um i get to carry him now yeah and it's horrible and it's so beautiful yeah i like that yeah no that's uh that's a that's Mm -hmm. the definition of a rosy thorn and very in line with my personality because it couldn't just be good or bad. It had to be both. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. <laughs> just a little heavy. No, I love that. That's uh, I've watched that unfold and I see how much it's impacted you, but I see how much it's impacted your life. And it's just, it is beautiful when you kind of put it into words in the way you just did. So I, I, I do appreciate you sharing that. Also, shout out to anybody who's in a similar position. Um, Aging family members is so incredibly challenging. It is like the meat and potatoes of hardship as a human. It's so hard. Especially when they're like, they are, they were the symbol of strength for you. Yeah. They were the, they were the person you put up on that pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. He was on the pedestal big time. Absolutely. So today's episode yes. is uh, basically going to be kind of like a values-driven approach to fitness yes, and health and just, just this general yeah. fitnessy health, nutrition, all, all, the whole area of it and why we've been talking more. Sam wrote a newsletter about this recently. Yes. Um, I wrote an article about it as well, just about how we think it's very important to have a values and identity-based approach to fitness rather than a more vapid approach to fitness and health. 
a great example of this would be wanting to be healthy as you age, um, be in good health, be physically, mentally fit. Mm -hmm. That might manifest in several different different ways. Body weight management might be one subcategory in improving mm -hmm. that value and that identity that you want to have, as opposed to being all centered around being lean. I mean... Being shredded. You also... There's no way you don't know these type of people who will look you dead in the eyes and go, oh, health is a value of mine. I genuinely value my health. But then you look, you take a step back and you can't help but judge a little bit because you're like, mm -mm. but I see the way you treat your body or treat your mind. I see the way you live your life. And it doesn't like if I looked at you based off of your behavior, I would never assume that you valued your health. Yeah. And the hard thing is to kind of take that judgment, <laughs> not judgment, but like consideration, I guess, and turn it towards yourself. Because a lot of the time, like I had this experience. This is not me judging anybody. This is me owning up to my own shit. One of the reasons behind this conversation and what got it really rolling was that I wrote out a list of my values and... I felt really confronted by it because I then looked at my behavior and I looked at a day in my life and I was like, wait, how many of those values are you practicing? Yeah. If I genuinely took stock of my behavior, I'd notice very quickly that like there were some values on that list that were not indicative based on my behavior. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. It's, it's not a good feeling. Yeah. Let's just say that. I think a, th a key piece of context to add into that is that, and to Sam's point, it seems originally like a judgment, but where I would pull it back and kind of critique why, um, I would actually critique the system rather than the individual yes. in those situations. Yes. And obviously there are, there's, there's individual responsibility, of course. Sure. It's just a cringy, it, the way that it's used <laughs> in fitness is cringe as hell. When I say I critique the system, it's that the marketing has led the consumer to often believe that health is weight loss. Mm -hmm. So the mar so if you don't know any better, and this includes myself and Sam, I'm at a point now where I feel much more confident in what health actually is compared to what I used to. But if you didn't know any better, I would say the regression to the mean for most people, yeah. meaning what they would revert back to as like the key parameter of health, they'd think weight. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, that, that is that is a marketing ploy from the fitness industry because you can sell weight loss very well. People are very motivated mm -hmm. within our society because we have beauty standards. We all want to look a certain way and that is a sellable approach. But health can be, it can't be divorced from weight, but it isn't just encompassed completely yes. by weight. And that's harder to sell and the nuances of it are much harder to communicate and get people through the door as opposed to summer's coming up, let's get into that bikini body. Yeah, That gets people moving and in capitalism that matters most for sales, but in the actual span of helping people, it might not be serving them to the degree that it's aiming to. And like here's an unfortunate truth for anyone listening here in North America. There definitely are places in the world where health isn't something that you have to go out of your way to achieve. It's yeah. more environmental. You look at a place like Amsterdam and there is a big culture around health. Um, yeah. You bike to work in community with other people. You live an active lifestyle because the environment is set up for you to do so. It's actually discouraged for you to get in a car to sit at your desk and not move a whole day. Yeah. The food is a little bit different out there. Like they health is more accessible. Yeah. For us here in North America, the most accessible thing for us is to move as little as possible most often because the reality is the vast majority of us are required to sit at a desk to complete our tasks in a given day for our careers and to make money and to feed ourselves. And our food environment is, you know, pretty much set up on 
processed foods. Yeah, a lot of processed foods. Quick, easy, convenient, and also more affordable. Yeah, so it depends on the air, like socioeconomic status ties in well with accessibility to fast food. Yes. So there's been research done where um, this is in America. I've noticed this anecdotally in Canada, and I assume it's pretty similar, but the lower the socioeconomic status is of an area, the more access they have to fast food joints. Absolutely. And like in our experiences, I grew up in a low income area. You grew up in like a mi- upper middle income area. Yeah. I can name every fast food, like almost every chain you can think off the top of your head within a two kilometer radius from my house. Um, and I've talked to people who went to, who grew up in different neighborhoods. So like, I don't know, we had like a McDonald's, a McDonald's somewhere. Oh no, we had two that I can think of within like a 10 minute walk. Two Timmy's, an AW, Harvey's, Wendy's, Burger King, Dairy Queen, Pizza wow, Hut, wow, wow, Pizza wow, Pizza, wow. everything. No. And I've noticed that. And that makes it for those people who are uh, more socially deprived and have less time to actually cook. And yeah. if they may not have been taught the cooking skills, if their parents were also working 60 hour mm-hmm. work weeks just to scrape by, those things are all going to lead you to be more likely yeah. to be in processed foods. Because buying processed foods is not just about the money spent, it's the time saved. Absolutely. And that can be crucial for families that are really poverty, like straddling the poverty line. Yeah. And like, here's the truth. Let's say one of your values is living an active lifestyle and you know that Part of that is getting in some gentle daily movement via steps every day. But you wake up in the morning and you get your kids off to school. And then before you know it, you got to get in the car and head into the office. And then you're sitting at your desk all day and you don't have a free second and you're stuck at work. And then by the time you're done your day, you have to get in the car, drive home, feed the kids, get them ready for bed, pull yourself up by your bootstraps basically and go to sleep. It's like, Nothing about your day encouraged you to walk. You know what I mean? Like you actually have to actively plan. Okay, I get 30 minutes for my lunch break. Maybe I can go for a 15 minute walk and eat for the other 15 minutes. Like it's inconvenient most of the time, right? Environment would shape you to move less. Yes. And potentially eat more calorically dense foods per gram of food. So it's really honestly quite challenging to practice what we preach sometimes just based on our environments and our lifestyles and the way that I hate to say it, but capitalism set us all up. Yeah. Just a harsh reality. Within that, what can you do? That's where we're at today. We're asking ourselves this question and we're asking you this question because for us, it's actually been pretty significant and confronting and eye-opening. Yeah, And sure. it's given us like a greater sense of direction of what we personally need to work on so that we're living in alignment with our values. And hopefully we can pass that on to you. Yeah. Just to touch on that with Sam, if you're in a certain environment, you might not have to uphold these values and boundaries to the same degree if it's yeah. actually more so the the product of that environment. It's like yeah. the most likely of outcomes. Like if you lived in a environment with a high walk score where everything is within walking reach, weather is nice, tying back to socioeconomic status, Mm -hmm. the safety of the neighborhood also matters. Telling someone who lives in a less safe neighborhood to Mm -hmm. just go for a walk at night might reek of some privilege, but if you're in in a beautiful- In the dead of winter, weather dependent, but some areas might actually make this the easy thing to do. Yeah. Where you actually, your friends like, come outside. We do things outside. We go for walks and you have to say no constantly. And the opposite- Especially during the dead of winter, it can you you might be actually outside of the social norm to say I'm going to go for a walk, and then yeah. like, dude, it's minus ten. Hundred um, percent. So in this context, it's probably going to take a, a stronger attachment to your values and more practice of upholding your boundaries if you are facing more social friction than others might. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I think another good example is that you know I value taking care of my mental health. Yeah, and that's kind of seen as like a hygiene thing too, right? Like we're talking about your daily hygiene, how you take care. Yeah. So it's very easy to like start meditating, but it's very, it's also, yeah, like it's it's the easiest thing to let go of. So like if you ask me if I think, if I hold meditating as a value, because I think that that's like a healthy thing for the human mind and soul and body, of course, I think meditating is wonderful and I think it's something everybody should do and I highly value it, yet I don't do it. Yeah. So what's up there? Yeah. And it's the little things like that. 
Yeah. So from there, I think I want to share kind of, we'll share our, per, well, I'll share some of my personal values and okay. why I, th- I'm going to share it and kind of chunk it down into what I've been doing more recently into making sure that it goes into my fitness journey, if that okay. makes sense. So Sam and I have these, um, they're called, but they're these calendar books from Hemlock and Oak. They're fantastic. I could not recommend yeah. them more. They're undated. Um, there's a lot more in there than just calendarizing. I'm a hyper-organized person. It's kind of like there's um, part for mindset, yeah. there's uh, for habits, goals, and then there's the daily planner and like your monthly overview. It's just hyper-organized and so mindful that it's been a really helpful tool. 100%. So it said, write down your main, your main values. So I was yeah. like, all right, let's 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 write them down. And I tried to go fresh off my mind so I didn't overthink it and think, you know, what would be a good value to have as opposed to what are my actual values? Yeah. So off the top of my, uh, I wrote down a couple of my big ones here and the big four were integrity, fairness, reliability, and empathy, mm-hmm. which screamed to me that I have trust issues and that I've been burned in the past. For sure. Um, <laughs> and being misunderstood mm-hmm. is one of my, like, one of the things I struggle with the most. Core. I, I hate feeling like I'm misunderstood. Absolutely. So within that, what I've been doing in my like kind of reflection journaling practices recently, which has been a part of my mental hygiene, is doing some values-driven journaling. So mm-hmm. reflecting on some of my behaviors and whether or not they're actually in line with my values. Mm-hmm. And the number one value I think I have is integrity. It's something that I, if I feel like I don't have it, I feel sick to my stomach. It's yeah. something I feel really gross about. It's something when I see someone have such a lack of integrity, it's almost one of the things I have the least empathy for. I definitely have some, but um, I get very triggered by yeah. people who like seemingly are apathetic to their integrity. Like that, I don't, they're like, I don't care. I'll just say well, whatever the fuck I want. That really blows my mind and I have a hard time conceptualizing it. And you might notice this because one of Dylan's like favorite things to do is get triggered by, and I quote, charlatans on social media. Oh, I hate them. And debunk them. And it's because they lack integrity to him. Like it lacks integrity to sell something that you know doesn't work or I don't even know if they, they, the don't, they vein, don't care if it works. It does, yeah. Or in the vein of like pulling one over on people just yeah. to like make your money. A hundred percent. Um, so integrity, if it's a, if it's a core value of mine, I can think to, Hey, how does that relate to what I've been doing? So in in this book, I also write a to-do list each day and I'll share a little bit here. I had in my to-do list, a bunch of tasks yesterday. (laughs) The easy ones are like, I read one research paper a day. That's Mm -hmm. easy. I, I meditate easy. I got some, my to-dos like client work, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. non-negotiable. The last one on it was call my grandma. And I was avoiding it. And I love my grandmother, but it wasn't as much fostered in me from a young, as a young kid to like, call your grandma, call your grandfather, like tell, like check in on people. It's just not what my like immediate family did. It's not how you show care. So I, yeah, I get intense anxiety over it because I, I, I feel like she's going to yell at me for not calling her, but she never has. She's always grateful for me calling her. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, you're just going to do it. And I wanted to say something to her. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I put it off, put it off. And then I was sitting in the shower and I was like, man, I wrote, a, I said I was going to do it and I didn't. Like, that's not integrity. And I was like, shit. So then I got <laughs> out and I called her and I had a wonderful conversation with her. Yeah. Um, and what I, I wanted to tell her was that like, hey, I realize I haven't called you as much and that I, I want to foster a better relationship with you and I'm trying to work through that. And I just want to let you know that like, I really care about you and I want to have a better relationship with you. And it like made her day and she was so happy. And I was glad that I did it. But I also only did it because I reflected on my value. Now, if I hadn't been doing this work, I probably would have found any reason to just Weasel out. move it to the next day. Because they're always, everything seems seemingly benign in a vacuum. Yes. And But nothing is in a vacuum. I know. It's just another pattern of push it, push it, push it. It's the tough thing I didn't want to do. Each and every day adds up to the big picture of your life. Yeah. And every day we convince ourselves that this benign behavior, this seemingly insignificant behavior is inconsequential. It's fine. I can just pull it together tomorrow. But when you do that every single day, it adds up Yeah. into the life that you live, into the person who you become, right? Yeah. And it's kind of scary because I don't know if any of you can relate, but I can definitely look back at patterns I've carried and not been able to like let go of over the course of years. 
and how it shaped and what's the word? Like how it shaped an outcome basically. Yeah. And it's hard to look back on that and like not feel a sense of remorse or regret because it's like, but I knew better. And I find that that's like often where we land at with this conversation. Yeah. I knew better, but why didn't I do it? And that's the shittiest feeling. Yeah. So yeah. when it comes to this, a, a good framework for you to work on it with is within your goal setting and your habits. And this is actually why I've changed my tune on SMART goals. So we did a podcast before talking about um, setting effective goals, and I've actually written articles about it, and I've yeah. had my mind changed over the last little bit, largely due to, um, it was first an article by Eric Trexler at Stronger by Science called An Evidence-Based Approach to Goal Setting and Behavior Change, and then some research within that talking about um, why SMART goals are actually seem overrated, and they're not actually as empirically backed up in the science and the research as we would think. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a household thing. We all think of it as being into this evidence-based goal setting thing, but a lot of it actually comes from like corporations yeah. and a corporate structure of just setting tasks for your employees from a managerial perspective, which I didn't know. So I read this other research paper that was kind of uh, referred in this about setting a, and establishing a goal hierarchy. Um, and we'll kind of go into this next and it, because it all relays back to your values. Mm -hmm. So at the top of the goal hierarchy would be a big, broad goal that is centered around your values and your ideal self. And if you remember with SMART goals, you, it's like broad goals are the devil. Mm -hmm. No, everything's got to be hyper-specific. But that's always very short-sighted as yes. if all goals are hyper-specific. And it's hard because like I remember being attacked by the SMART goals. Yeah, back at our former place of employment. They're pressuring a lot of the time. Yeah, because they said, well, what's your big, like, what's the goal here? And I was like, to be a healthy person, like yeah. longevity, like I want to be healthy now. I want to be healthy in 10 years from now and yeah. in 20 years from now. How is that not a valid goal, right? But they didn't know how to chunk it down with SMART goals, so it was invalid. And they yeah. said, no, pick something concrete and specific. Yeah. But it, it is concrete and specific to me. It's just about now, how do we define what health looks like for you? Yeah. What is health to you? Yeah. Right? So it's it's okay to have broad goals. I you think, just need to chunk them down. So you kind of need them. Yeah. And then from there, so that would be deemed a superordinate goal. Yes. Or an identity-based value-driven goal. So say mm -hmm. the most common one that will relate to most people listening would be be healthy. Yes. Right? For whatever reason, you want to be healthy. And that goal actually should probably be one you can't really achieve. It's more of a state. It's not a finality. It's, it's not just not I achieved health. It's I'm health striving and I want to be healthy. It's a, yes. it's a reflection of my behavior. I want to engage in health promoting behaviors daily for the rest of my life to give myself a better chance at positive health outcomes. Yes, exactly. That's it. From there, you would break down what they would call an intermediate goal. And that would be like, mm -hmm. that could be something that's a little bit more specific, but still a little bit more broad. Mm -hmm. So be healthy, get more sleep could be mm -hmm. one. Manage stress better could be one. Lose weight could be one. Work out three days a week. Well, just work, exercise regularly would be Whatever. one, right? So there's multiple that come down mm -hmm. from that. And then from there, this is where SMART goals come more into play, mm -hmm. is from there you might pick one of those intermediate goals yeah. and then break it down into a specific habit or practice that will move up the chain. So say you pick exercise regularly, from there you go to, I'm going to work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. That's going to be your specific task and, and you're going to lock it down until it becomes a habit and it will move up the chain. It'll help with exercising more regularly, which in turn should help with being healthier. But it's kind of a, it's a hierarchy that is... Being a, it's being approached in the short term and mm -hmm. long term, but the over broad, the over encompassing thing is still, what do you value? Yeah. Who do you want to be? Right. Yeah. You don't want to be someone who works out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You're doing that for a reason. Mm -hmm. And this way you can actually have the short term rewards and the short term focuses, mm -hmm. but also the long term broad focuses that keep you in touch with, hey, what kind of person do I want to be? Who yeah. do I want to be? Am I not living by my values? Maybe the goal is I want to be somebody who gets to like really be an involved grandparent one day. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's a huge value to hold. Family is the value. Break there, it down right? from yeah. there. Yeah. Like I want to live long enough to see my grandkids. That's beautiful. That is a very worthwhile goal to pursue. 
let's chunk it down. What can we do to get you there? Yeah. You know and, what I mean? And that makes the the dietary focuses, the stress management focuses, yes. the health pursuits, I think it puts more perspective and value into them in the long term yes. as opposed to like, what am I just doing this to look good on the beach? Like, look, there's nothing wrong with looking good on the beach, but I don't think that keeps people as motivated long term as we realize because we've all gotten there or a lot of us have gotten there or achieved a goal and mm -hmm. the novelty of it faded, but we were no longer attached to something greater yeah. and it made it very easy to just regress back into old behaviors Yeah, because it was always attached to a short-term outcome when that short-term outcomes novelty wore off, you weren't left with much to keep you going. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever lived outside your values for a few days, <laughs> your body kind of tells you. Yeah. It's true. What about you? Is there any uh, any values you've been reflecting on and how it might tie into hmm. your fitness journey, coaching, personal? I mean, I really do value health. Like that's my big thing, right? Really like do, I yeah. wanted, I see it from a really strange perspective because I see the impact that neglecting my health can have on the people around me. Yeah. And one of my values <laughs> is not being a burden, I guess. That is. <laughs> like, okay. So oh, is, that a, is that a value no, or is I that mean, a like, trauma response? One of my trauma <laughs> fears is being a burden. <laughs> and <laughs> one of my values. But like, I value my independence. I value being able to like Fair. take care of me and take care of the people I love. Like I value being somebody who can do that. Yeah. I value having agency. I value being able to like care for others yeah. genuinely. 100%. And if I can't do that, that takes something from me in a big way. Well, I think this is important actually to touch on with you is, and this is why I think this discussion can be so, so no pun intended, valuable. Oh. <laughs> um, because a lot of us are just kind of getting by surviving day to day. Yeah. Right. And this isn't going to apply to everyone because not everyone can get out of that. This is like, if you can get out of it, focusing on your values can be one way to keep you focusing on the long term. Because I'm someone who's always just been day to day, day to day, yeah. day to day. And when you have that approach, whether you have to, to get by, or it's ingrained in you and once you no longer need to, you still do just by proxy of having practiced yes. that, that surviving mentality for so long, it can have you short-sighted because yes. like, I just got to get through today. And for you, yeah. you struggle with that in a lot of ways in your life. Definitely. But being attached to this value of health, which is something you've had since we've, since I met you, yeah, it allows you to engage in behaviors and put off something immediate Yes. That would help you with you surviving right now for long-term focusing on your health. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that's something they might have not thought about. And even thinking about it and reflecting on it could help in molding and shaping yeah. behavior change in the long term as opposed to, I just got to get through today. Yeah. And it's a very complex topic. But I think if you've never thought about it, it could go a long way and being like, oh, shit, like do I ever really factor in who I want to be or what my yes. values are in the long term? So we've discussed this where like, I have a built-in mechanism and this is something that maybe I've owned in adulthood. I don't know that I, it was like built in me like right from inception. I don't know where I developed it, but it's the ability to extract yourself, to pull yourself back from yourself for a moment and look at yourself more objectively from the 20,000 foot view and factor in future Sam because immediate Sam, kind of a monster. She might be hungry. She might be tired. She might be cranky or whiny or this or that. But when I factor in future Sam and the life I want her to have and who I want her to be and how I want her to show up in the world, it makes the immediacy like that pull towards choices that take me further from my values rather yeah. than closer towards them a little less appealing, right? Yeah. Because sure, it might feel good right now to like binge watch Netflix for the next 12 hours. But like, if I consider future Sam, even like near future Sam, near future Sam, when she gets out of that Netflix binge is going to not feel so good. I don't know that binge watching Netflix is one of my values. Can't say that. On Friday nights is one of our values. <laughs> I mean, it's there's a, a time and a place, right? But like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, 
it's the ability to sort of factor in that like every little choice you make on a daily basis is going to push you in one direction or another. So which direction are you pushing yourself? Yeah. And it's a really daunting little task (laughs) to be honest with yourself about not just your values, but about what the values are that derive from your behavior. Yeah. Writing out that second list was really jarring for me. Not because I think I'm a terrible person or that I think that it makes me one, but because it's really easy sometimes to get lost in the minutia of the day-to-day as Dylan said. And it's easy to survive and it's easy to tell yourself that today doesn't matter and tomorrow will be better. But Tomorrow never comes because we just keep, yeah, we just go by forever. And you're like, I've been doing the same shit. I didn't even realize it. I know. And just having, taking that step back, if you have the privilege to do so, can be so helpful. And I, and also I wanted to say with what you were just saying, you're not, you you might do this in certain areas of your life and not in others. But not at all. Because, so I've always, I've done, not always, but I've done this with my finances for a while. I've been like hyper responsible Mm -hmm. with with them. And then in other areas, I'm not at all with that same level of responsibility. Like I can push a expense farther away in the future and save away for it better than I can say no to an extra slice of pizza. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. Like you can be exceptional at one thing and then in another realm, not the skills don't always transfer, but they can be reminders that you can do it of like, Hey, there is evidence of me being able to do this in another arena. What skills and strategies that I use there? And for Mm -hmm. context, I might really think about uh, wanting to have a down payment for a house one day or wanting to pay off my yeah. debts. And that's motivating to me. And that's a long-term thing that I might be able to achieve if I do prolong these short-term gratifying experiences enough, right? Yes. But I'm attached to the long-term. Mm-hmm. But if I am thinking I'm just hungry and like I deserve that piece of, that extra piece of pizza, yes. I deserve this. But I don't think about, hey, like, what about your long-term fitness goals? How are you actually hungry or yeah. are you doing this to fill a void as you've done? I might not have that same level of reflection in my diet as I would somewhere else and vice versa. Yes. And if I sat back and think, hey, if I use that same financial strategy, that one works in, in pushing away recency a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Why don't I try that here? And like a values kind of approach and assessing it in this context could be super helpful for that. Yes. So like a value of mine is health for sure. A value of mine is being a coach and a role model and somebody who can like show people that they can and teach them that they can and guide them how to. And then in the same vein, when I th- when I actually describe like my value of being like a good role model or educator or coach, that is a value of mine, right? But I also feel that a good coach and a good role model and a good leader is somebody who can ask for help when they need it. Yeah. Yeah. So then I'm, I'm looking at this list and I'm like, wait, so you value and you actually think that a good leader is somebody who asks for help when they need it. That's a trustworthy person. That's a reliable person. And that's an authentic person. Yeah. All things I value, but yet asking for help that's where you lose me, completely lose me. I have a terrible time of asking for help when I need it. Yeah. In some ways, it's taken me two years to ask the person I live with for help when I need it. Same. Yeah. And that's a value I I really hold dearly. Yeah. So sometimes (laughs) the feeling you're left with is really frustrated. But they're all little clues, right? Like it's kind of nice instead of getting angry with yourself, instead of like kind of self-sabotaging and throwing the baby out with the bathwater now that you you have all this newfound awareness of how you're not really living in alignment with your values, um, it's easy to self-sabotage and it's easy to bully ourselves and beat ourselves up and to then just forget it all. Yeah. But it'll sneak back up on you. Well, to it your, always does. So, so to your point, using the example you just you just said, yeah, I think if you don't I think if you don't think of the bigger picture and who you want to be in the ideal self that you are striving there's towards, there's a consequence. And you're in the you're in the discomfort of needing help and not and not wanting to ask for help, right? Being naturally pain avoidant people, 
you can very clearly see, hey, it's painful to ask for help because there's potential for rejection that might trigger a feeling that's happened to me in the past. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. I'm, I'm hyper-confident. Exactly. Yes. So you're, you're aware of all that. But if you're not aware of your ideal self and what values make up that ideal self, you don't have the juxtaposition of, okay, I know what the downside of, of asking for help is, but what's the upside? Yeah. Because the upside might be, I might actually become the ideal self that I've been striving to for so yes. long. But if you never do that, you're only going to see the negatives. You're like, yeah, I'm not asking for help. Yeah, But in this context, you now can weigh them out. And doesn't mean you'll always do it, but it means now you have a counterbalance to think of, hey, am I like striving towards mm-hmm. who I want to be or am I just avoiding pain? And like we so often repeat the same pattern because like yeah. Dylan said, we get lost in the day-to-day. And one thing that was really confronting for me was looking at these two lists and realizing that if I continue ignoring them, that the next two years, the next five years, and potentially the next 10 years could just be me repeating the same pattern. And the thought of that actually made my stomach turn. Yeah. Uh, We've seen it with people. We've seen like, we've seen people we love where that happens with, and they didn't have the resources or the knowledge or the knowledge, you know, like right now we live in a knowledge economy right now where you kind of get resources um, finding trustworthy ones is, is the new battle, but there's no shortage of resources, yeah. especially if you have any disposable income to purchase them through books, ebooks, yeah. et cetera. But there's even a lot of free resources if you have access to internet. So with all of that in mind, finding the trusted resources are, are there, but putting it into practice can be so difficult. Yeah. Um, and even with how, how much knowledge and information you can intake, applying it is another story. It's so hard, but it's, It's really confronting to think, well, if I don't start living in alignment with them, then the next five years might look like the past five. And is that what I want? Is that who I want to be? Is that how I want to show up? Is that how I want to role model to the people around me? So so what anything practical that you'd want to give to the listeners and how they can apply this to their fitness journey, to their health pursuits, anything along those lines? I think the lists are the greatest thing. Yeah. Um, Writing out one list of what your values actually are. Like really sitting and thinking about like the person I want to be, she or he or they behave like this, this, this is how they practice. This is what they preach. And then the other list, the harder list is actually the one where you kind of Take stock of your behavior. Consistent habits. Yeah, consistent habits. What does a day in your life look like? What does a week in your life look like? What does a month in your life look like? What's the consistency? Is going for a walk something you do once a month or is it a habit that you practice on a daily basis? Is that a value that you hold? I would add a third constraint in there. Yes. Um, A third um, list is kind of like what constraints and what roadblocks are there. Yeah, for sure. Because I think it can be very easy to just be like, to get hyper excited and be like, oh my God, these are the, I'm going to crush these values. What what things might get in the way and and what's realistic could be another one. Yeah. Um, But those lists could be crucial in identifying, hey, like what are the big rocks? What is actually getting in the way? Because if you can value something and not live it, I do believe that. Absolutely. Life gets in the way and makes it messy. I have. Yeah. I think it's also really important to apply the 1% better approach. It is not about overhauling your entire life and existence. What if instead you made one small change? Yeah. Just one small change. Think about implementing that one small change three out of seven days for one week. See how that feels. 100%. And go from there. Build it up. But don't bite off more than you can chew because that is the quickest way to land back at square one and to feel really defeated and down on yourself. 100%. And I can assure you that that'll happen because I've done it so many times. Yeah. So right now, like I said, one of my values, meditating. I think it's important I've been for doing your mental too. health. It's nice. What did I do this morning? I woke up and I meditated. Am I going to wake up and meditate tomorrow morning? I don't know, but I'm going for four days this week. That's my goal. But regardless, you already did it once, which is And that's enough. A hundred percent. And we've talked about BAM targets. That's a great idea of like 
I'm aiming for four, but bare ass minimum, I'm getting two. I'm just trying to build the skill back up because I know how it feels when I do it consistently. And it does make me feel good. It does make me feel different. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- those are those are some of the practical strategies. What about you? Practical strategies. I would say establishing the goal hierarchy. Yep. If you want more resources on that, I wrote an article that we'll link in the show notes for called sure. Are Smart Girls Overrated? And yeah. it gives you kind of a step-by-step approach on how to do that. Um, but yes, set up the broad goals. Who do you want to be? Who's your ideal self? What do you need to do to strive towards it? What are some intermediate goals that can allow that are still a little more broad that reflect up into your ideal self? And mm-hmm. then from there, which one is most important? Break down some habits and strategies that you can do. This way you now have short-term goals that you mm-hmm. can focus on, medium-term goals, and long-term goals that all reflect in who you want to be and who yeah. you're striving towards. That's kind of the big thing I would and say. there's cohesion in that. There's cohesion. It's consistent. Yeah. There's multiple temporal landmarks, short, long, it's yes. values driven. That's kind of where I would suggest going there. And then as Sammy said, like writing down these lists. There's something about putting pen to paper and concretizing a concept that has been living in your mind Yeah, that makes it more real. Yeah. Most of us, our brains are like three ring circuses <laughs> and we think 8 million thoughts a day Yeah, and they are scattered and nothing about that is concrete. Write it down, put it on paper, and then carry it with you. Like keep it close. Keep it in mind on a daily basis. You can slowly become the person who practices what they preach. It's a daily thing that you show up for. Absolutely. So. I think that covers everything for today. Um, If you have any questions, (laughs) our cat has been meowing the whole time. I know. (laughs) If you have any questions, um, you can message us on Instagram is a great way to follow us. All that will be in the show notes. Facebook community group is a or, great way where we share these discussions as well. Or should you find that you do what we recommended in this podcast and you write out those lists and you're like, oh my God, I'm horrified. Share it. I'd yeah. love to hear that. Yeah, 100%. Make my day because I'm horrified too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. And we're, thank yeah. you. Thanks again for always listening. And as you as we mentioned at the start of the show, some in the show notes, there will be applications to online coaching, our newsletter, and yes. as always, if you could share this, um, like, write a review, all of that is uh, greatly appreciated. Thanks for being here. Cheers. Bye.